Good morning. This is Father John, and I'm speaking to you from my study at my home in Berkeley, Texas. During the past week, I believe I have had a rather severe allergy attack, especially with transporting my mother back and forth to San Antonio, where the pollen and cedar tends to wreak havoc on my sinuses. Out of a sense of precaution, I have taken a COVID test. Unfortunately, as of now, Saturday evening, I do not have the results back. However, while I have not had a fever, nor have I been anything other than slightly fatigued and congested, the vestry and I have decided that in the interest of keeping everyone safe, and until my COVID-19 test comes back negative, I should stay away and preach to you remotely. So, I will be preaching to you from my study, longing and wishing that I could indeed be with all of you and celebrate the Eucharist. I will keep all of you in my prayers this week, and I ask that you do the same for me and my mother as I isolate here but away from her. I hope to see all of you again next Sunday or in the very near future, whenever that may be. And may I add just a word to those who are listening to this as a podcast and are not members of St. Christopher's. I ask your prayers both for the congregation and parish at St. Christopher's and for myself during this troubling time. With that said... Let me now begin this sermon in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The courtroom was packed for what, especially in a small community, was a sensational trial. The evidence had been provided by the prosecution proving that the defendant was guilty beyond a shadow of a doubt. But, with a good defense attorney... Some of that evidence had been called into question, and there were some sitting in the courtroom that began to rethink their opinions. The back and forth between attorneys and witnesses went on for several days until, at last, the jury went into their chamber, discussed and weighed all the merits of the case before them, And after what seemed to be an eternity to all the court watchers, they came back with their verdict. Guilty. The trial moved moved on a few days later to the sentencing phase. And there was time given for people to come and give character witness for this now guilty defendant. Colleagues, friends... Community leaders all addressed the court on behalf of the defendant. He made a mistake this one time, one said. Please don't let his life be ruined and that of his family by one slip-up. Others talked about his service. He has been one of the largest donors to this community, and he certainly has helped more people than he has hurt in this incident. His close friend, the man who had been the best man at his wedding and sat by the bedside with him as his child died, told the court 
This is a good man. He's the best. Yes, he made a mistake, but I beg you, please don't send him away. The weight on his conscience is punishment enough. The episode in our gospel reading is usually surrounded by questions about the Syrophoenician woman at the beginning of our passage. And answering some of the questions about what Jesus says and why he says what he says. And I'd like to leave that discussion and move away from all the intrigue about her. There is, though, one thing to note, and it is this. This woman is not a Jew. And so the whole episode about her approaching Jesus and their conversation and his responses to her must be understood in that frame of mind. While it does have some merit in understanding this passage fully, that's not where we are exactly focusing today. Rather, I want us to look at these two stories and see the common threads in them, and perhaps something that we sometimes overlook. Both of these stories show either one person or a small group of people coming to Jesus and making a request of him. Except the request has nothing to do with they themselves. It is not, Lord, help me find a job. Nor is it, Lord, give me inward spiritual peace and comfort. And it is certainly not like many of the heretical prosperity gospel advocates proclaiming, Jesus, make me rich. Instead, both the Syrophoenician woman and the crowd from that region around the Decapolis both plead for Jesus to act on behalf of others. One for their daughter and the other for a man who was deaf and mute. Now, Unfortunately, our translation of this passage doesn't quite capture what we might call the raw emotion of the situation. First, the woman just doesn't bow down at his feet. But rather, the word in Greek is more like she flung herself down, fell at his feet. Not as some stoic woman who goes toe-to-toe with Jesus but as a mother at her wit's end. She is pouring out her heart to Jesus. And rather than beg, the Greek says she questioned him or asked him if it was even possible. It's the sort of question that's the pleading sort. The, Lord, is it possible for you to cast out this demon from my daughter, would you even consider it? And yes, her race and culture does play, <clears throat> does play a significant role in her pleading. The man who is deaf and mute is brought to Jesus, and here we learn that his friends and his companions beg Jesus to touch him to heal him. 
And I think we sometimes get the wrong idea about what begging means. We sometimes confuse begging with what children do. Mommy, please, 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 can I play for another hour? Please. Or we imagine begging as the people that we see on the street corners with signs, walking up and down, looking longingly into your car. But begging in this culture is much more akin to what I've witnessed in places like Eastern Europe. There, the beggar doesn't sit on a street corner, nor do they walk around intersections. Instead, they kneel, their arms outstretched in supplication, with their heads down on the ground, not even raising their eyes to look at you. They physically highlight their poverty and grief or whatever you might want to call it, by bringing themselves low. And it is possible that some mixture of this posture, along with a litany of pleading, please help him, Jesus. Please help him, Jesus. Please help him, Jesus. Was what the crowd was actually doing. We in the church have a word for this, and it is one of the forms of prayer that we use regularly. Intercession. Intercession is what we pray not on our own behalf, not for things we need or want, desire, or think we ought to pray for, But instead, it's prayer that we say on behalf of others. Intercession is prayer that we give for those in need. Well, not even just those in need. Intercession is whenever we pray for anyone out of love, out of the knowledge that they need or desire our prayers or because our heart is moved, either out of pity or out of necessity. St. Paul calls it the groaning of the Holy Spirit. And we do this in every liturgy that we have here. We pray for the church and her leader. We pray for the nations our nation, and those around the world. We pray for the welfare of all people, and we even pray for our families and friends, people whom we love and care for. We even pray for those having birthdays and anniversaries, each in the form of an intercessory prayer. But... And a few of you have made comments and asked questions about how and why there are people on our prayer list, and especially that we don't know these people. We've never met them. And other churches have questioned if it is even, and and, and other churches, and some of you have questioned if it is even right to pray for them. And the answer is yes. Not only is it right, 
but it is also our duty. Prayers of intercession are and can be the most powerful force that we as Christians have in this world. Not only are we bringing our petitions and placing them before the throne of God, but we are demonstrating to ourselves and others where our faith lies. When we pray for healing or for peace in the world, or for someone who is troubled by some disaster that is besetting them, we are not only approaching our Lord with our intentions, but we are lining up on the side of Christ and looking at the world with the eyes of Christ, seeing the world as Jesus does. And while we pray for large-scale problems, say the situation in Afghanistan or the aftermath of Hurricane Ida or the troubling reports about COVID infection rates, we admit that there is very little that we as individuals can do. But we also learn that as a group, that as the church, where even two or three are gathered together praying in Jesus' name, it is through that that we can begin to learn and discern how to put our own prayers into action. Christians are sometimes criticized for saying, after some tragedy or event, Our thoughts and prayers are with those affected, and we know how this litany goes. On one hand, that criticism is a little unfounded. As Christians, our first call to any sort of action is actually to prayer. And it's prayer for wisdom and guidance and discernment about what we should do. However, the criticism is indeed founded and correct if we as the church fail to act. It is one thing to say, Lord, let there be peace, only then to purposely set out and cause strife. It is one thing to pray, Lord, help this family through their hardship without being the answer to your own prayer when it is possible for you to act. One thing that we see in our passage is the tenacity of both the woman and the crowd. It was not just a quick, Lord, help my daughter, and then the Syrophoenician woman running off to the next heir and checking off a box and saying, that's done. Instead, it was a gut-wrenching plea. And one can imagine that she would not have left Jesus alone until her request was granted. We can see in our mind's eye the crowd surrounding Jesus, almost as if they were not going to allow him to leave until their plea had not only been heard, but answered. We, too, 
are called to be vigilant in our intercessions. It is why we spend so much of our prayer time in the liturgy, in intercessory prayer. This is also why we print the names of those who have asked for our prayers in our service leaflet so you can take it home and pray for those who need our prayers. Jesus himself is our ultimate model. Several times in the Gospels, we find Jesus himself praying for his disciples and praying for us, petitioning the Father to protect us and to keep what we now call the church from harm and to strengthen our faith. St. Paul reminds us of this in Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Just like people pleading with a judge to be merciful, just like people pleading with a bank for a little more time, just like a parent pleading with their child to not get into methamphetamines or other drugs, that is the way our prayers should be. Desperate, urgent, as if the world depended on this one petition. There is no room for, te- for fatigue. There is no room for giving up. Pray without ceasing. When you have one minute or ten minutes, or even when you hear about something at coffee with friends or on the job, pray a quick prayer. And note it down. I have started using my iPhone to record prayer requests so that I don't forget someone. And pray for them. Jesus hears. And and Jesus knows. But also, let your prayers be the gateway for action by you, on behalf of others. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.